0: be with you right now in this moment that you breathe. Let us all breathe and hope and pray peace, peace into this new and uncertain year ahead. All new matters have uncertainty with them, and the year 2021 will prove to be no different than 2020 in this regard. I am Reverend Dr. Candice Bist and this is the second to last of my podcasts for the Shelburne Primrose Pastoral Charge, where I have served for the last five years alongside the musical director and my husband, Bruce Lee. It is the second of a three-part series I am offering to all of you as a kind of audio goodbye card, a series of personal reflections on our mutual faith. Shelburne and Primrose are located in southern Ontario, and we are experiencing a Christmastide season of long snowy days and grey skies. Everything feels still and silent. We are in the midst of a 28 day lockdown due to the coronavirus pandemic, and nature and people seem to be of one accord a rarity in and of itself. Stillness in the skies and on the ground and in the local towns and in the little woods outside my home. But our caregivers, our grocery and pharmacy workers, our nurses and doctors and paramedics and research teams and everyone who serves in essential services carries on amazingly Can we ever be grateful enough to them for this call to service? I don't think so, but we can try. Last week, I wove together some of my favorite scriptures, though like little children who feel they have been left out of the party, all kinds of scriptures have been waving at me this week, imploringly, whimpering, I thought I was your favorite which has been a lovely surprise. They just keep popping up all over the place, and I see, as never before, how Scripture has informed my thinking. Do you remember when we spoke about Mary and her Magnificat during Advent, and how all the pictures of her show her reading, even though it is unlikely she was literate? This was so the artists could illustrate how the scriptures she had heard since she was a child had formed her mind. Well, it turns out they have formed mine too, and all of yours as well, far more than we might have imagined. So today we're going to look at some of the basic theologies within our faith, again through my own personal experience with them. Theology is really just a fancy word for the study of God. The word God, Theo, is just a placeholder for something grand and astonishing and huge and stunning and creative, something beyond us. And I have always found the best way to study, ology meaning study of, is to have conversations. So theology is then a conversation with that which we do not know, but would like to be acquainted with in a more intimate way. And just as being acquainted with a moose or a great oak tree is not really possible, still the drawing close to them offers us an experience, a conversation of sorts. And I think that is the way with theology We draw close to certain understandings in our tradition, and we have conversations with them and experiences with them in our lives. And this is how we learn at a deeper level than the mere collecting of facts. As he did last week, Bruce begins our time of reflection together with a musical prayer. And remember that on the website, I offer a lyric-only version of our transcript so you can sing along with Bruce and I during the services.
1: For the healing of the nations God, we pray with one accord For a just and equal sharing the things that our earth affords To a life of love in action Help us rise and pledge our word Lead us forward into freedom From despair your world release That redeem from war and hatred Come and go in peace Show us how through care and goodness Schooling dogmas that obscure your plan. In our common quest for justice, may we hallow light. Service, Earth, its destiny may find.
0: You will know well if you have been listening to these podcasts that I encourage us always to reach past categories of people, division of any kind, be they racial or religious, of gender or nationality, and to search out that which unites us as opposed to the differences that separate us. Our differences add to the richness of our united community. They need not serve as barriers. In like manner, I see the concept of the divine as an existing, unknowable continuum, developing and exploring in the same way that we do, dancing with us in some way, as close as our heartbeat and as intimate, and yet simultaneously gloriously large and past our grasp. I suppose if I had to try and define God, I would simply say that God is all that we are not, and yet somehow are connected to in a profound way. In the Song of Faith, the poetic theological writing from the United Church, it is written, God is holy mystery, beyond complete knowledge, and above perfect description, yet in love the one eternal God seeks relationship. And in addressing the naming God, I do so love this wonderful writing in reference to the Song of Faith. It mirrors my own understanding of the nature and the being of God. It reads We employ and honor the traditional image of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but also offer other images such as mother, friend, comforter, source of life, living word, bond of love. Words are a significant means of understanding and relating to the holy, and the statement of faith recognizes the adequacy of all images or metaphors that speak faithfully of the one on whom our hearts Rely. However, the first designation of God in the statement of faith, that of holy mystery, serves as a reminder that all subsequent attempts to name the divine are simply that, attempts to describe a reality that is always greater than human language can encompass. The one on whom our hearts rely. That is a beautiful, beautiful phrase to try and capture that which we cannot. Just before I came to work for the pastoral charge, I experienced the third heartbreak of my life. I don't speak lightly of heartbreak. If you have experienced one yourself, you will know one never recovers completely from them. But then... That, of course, is the idea. You are broken open in some way, humbled and exposed. Heartbreaks, I have come to see, are one of the ways the divine spirit teaches us. So if you are going through a heartbreak, something that has really shaken your very core, know that in the midst of it, there is something profound to be acknowledged and you will serve the world better for having accepted it. Psalm 91 came to me in this challenging period, and I woke every morning for several weeks and read it over and over until I thought I could manage through the day. It is a profoundly healing psalm, very God-focused, a powerful tool to make your way through any difficulty. And that, to me, is a foundational piece of the divine. It is eternal, solid, ever-present, ever waiting to take our heartbroken selves in tender embrace. I have never, ever known it to fail when turned to in humility and a willingness to be healed. Just the other day while I was at the church, Norma Godbolt stopped by to fill in one of our registers, and she spoke to me about the unexpected and sudden death of her mother when Norma was 25 years old. Norma was close to her mother and deeply grieved her loss. But she held steady in her faith, even in her terrible sorrow. And then she told me, One day she heard again Psalm 23, and when it spoke of death, yea, though I walk through the valley of death, I will fear no evil, she experienced a wonderful warmth and loveliness that words cannot describe. And she felt a peace with both her mother's death and death in general. This is how God works how God heals, how God teaches, unexpectedly, surprisingly, when you least see it coming towards you. This is the hand of the divine, the element of the unexpected arrival, all part of the mystery that is our God. In my experience, God is always present, though so often I am not. God is always waiting to heal, though I am not always willing to be healed. God is always tender, though very real heartbreak can push you to the limits of your strength. God serves life and love, and when we put ourselves in God's care, the miraculous is possible. A five- I have loved Jesus as long as I can remember. It was like loving my grandmother Jane. It was a love that was there before I understood what it was or who he was. And in a way, my Scottish grandmother had a lot to do with me loving Jesus because she was what my friend Andy calls a muscular Christian, which is a high compliment. Grandma Jane was beautiful, clever, And as they said about the American Saint Dorothy Day, she lived as though God was real and the Gospels were true. I loved her and she loved God and Jesus and I wanted to do everything she did. And I loved the church because the local church where I grew up always smelled like delicious things were cooking in it and happy things were going on There was a sound to it I liked, the sound of people, mostly women, talking and laughing. The minister was from Glasgow like my beloved grandmother, and he had the same heavy brogue that she did. To this day, I still think that if God were a man and if God were talking, then he would certainly have the thick Scottish accents of working-class Glasgow folk, And you know, when they say things, it really does sound irrefutable. There were, it seemed to me, endless rooms in the church, space to run and explore. There was brownies and girl guides on Wednesdays, and choir on Thursdays, movies on Saturday afternoons, and Sunday school on Sabbath mornings. It was the third place where I lived as a child, home, school, church. Home had its challenges, school too, but church was where Jesus lived, and there, there was a kind of peacefulness in the midst of all the moving about and noise. I loved church, and I loved Jesus. But childhood does not last, and eventually I, and the world around me, began to question matters at the church, What was all this business about Jesus coming back to life? We lived in the age of science, and that was clearly impossible. The miracles started to seem a bit suspect, as did the whole dried bread and grape juice being flesh and blood. Jesus was in the middle of all this confusing, improbable mess, so I decided to go straight to the source, God, and deal directly with the top man, as I then thought of God. I left Jesus behind because somehow it just all seemed embarrassing. Too many questions with no answers. And worse, no one wanted to talk about any of it. I would simply hear, Jesus is the Son of God, as if that answered all queries. But to an inquiring mind, That was not an answer, just a doorway to more questions. One of the key matters that drove me to seminary was that I had never heard anyone explain this oft-repeated phrase, Jesus died for our sins. No matter who I asked, there was no explanation that made the foggiest sense whatsoever. I had returned to church by then Bruce and I having been married in a united church in Toronto, the minister being our backdoor neighbor. I had renewed my love of a bustling place of women doing things together and having fun doing it. But Jesus still seemed problematic to me. We circled around one another for quite some time before I fell in love again. I think that is why we lose so many young people from the church. We fail to acknowledge the expanding of their own spirituality and do not respond to the deep questions this brings about. So here are just a few things I've come to know about Jesus, among all the many things that I don't, and there are still things I wonder about and question. And this helps me to hold the love for Jesus I had in my youth without sacrificing the experience and intelligence of adulthood. Jesus' last name is not Christ, for starters. That is a title, Jesus the Christ, as in Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the one who we have decided to follow because his way of love makes sense to us. Jesus was a real person who lived in a certain time of history. Christ is the spirit of that man who can and does live within anyone who does things in love and therefore is both eternal and accessible at all times to all people. Jesus was born in the Jewish faith and then absorbed into the Christian faith. But the spirit of Christ is not bound by the borders of religions. Though it is true that the Christian faith is unique in gathering around his teachings, both his teachings and his spirit are available to everyone within our formal faith and without. And that is Jesus' teachings embedded as it is in the gospel stories. Jesus understood he was beloved, But what is more amazing to me is that having been gifted this piece of information, he immediately understood that this was true for everyone and set about sharing that knowledge. That is why we call him the Son of God, not because of any biological ties or otherwise, but because his heart was so big and his wisdom so extensive that he could not think to do otherwise than to share his own profound spiritual experience. This never ceases to amaze me. I have been able to bring real-life problems to Christ, that is, to Jesus in the Spirit, and his voice which I know as well as my own, has only compassion within it. Contempt is unknown to the Christ. That is a human invention, one we have perfected. It does not exist in either Jesus or his teachings or his spirit. I know that if I follow Jesus and his way, I will not go wrong. I don't always follow the path He lays before me, but I always want to. When I don't follow Jesus, he waits patiently for me at the crossroads where I left him behind. And when I come back to him, we walk in silence that is peace itself.
2: Through the meadow, and many travel there. But I have a gentle shepherd, I would follow anywhere up the narrow path through the be ever in his presence where he leads me Day and night They fill the air But there's one so small and quiet I would know him when he calls
0: what it was like standing at the foot of the cross? I do. I wonder what it was like for Mary, Jesus' mother. I wonder what it was like for the disciples, for Jesus' friends, his followers, the soldiers, the passers-by. What was it like for the temple priests, for Pilate and his crew? for the Pharisees and the Sadducees, some of whom may have been off having dinner while Jesus waited to die on a cross, pondering, as he must have, all he had done and all he had believed in. But I think, too, there must have been some who considered their part in the crucifixion, who wondered at the cracks that were emerging within their own faith wondered at the scriptures they read, and wondered if their leaders were following them. There are two basic competing theologies in Christianity. Well, there's lots of theologies, of course, but there are two main ones that seem to be in opposition to one another. And in the end, you have to choose which one you will live with. The first one is a theology of glory, That is the one that waves the big Christian flag, tells of the glorious power of our faith and how it can conquer all our errant ways, and how everyone really should come and join our triumphant parade. I have never felt comfortable with that particular interpretation of our faith, though the statements themselves may hold much truth. I feel more comfortable with the theology of the cross, the place where we stand in solidarity with all the blood and mess and disarray and uncertainty that would have been found in Jesus' dying. It is an understanding of God that finds itself at the foot of the cross in the real life of disappointment, failure, and uncertainty holding to love, and the fact that there are things yet to be revealed that we may or may not understand. It has never mattered to me one bit how or if Jesus was resurrected in a bodily sense. There are some people who would claim that you can't be a real Christian if you don't believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus. I am not one of them. Resurrection can come in many forms much more real than a body and the power of a person's spirit is a potent matter not easily dismissed then or now. I am not the only one who feels this way as the differing accounts of the Spirit of Christ are spoken of in our gospel stories. When I am in doubt about anything and that's a frequent occurrence. I find my way to the foot of Jesus's cross, in solidarity with all those who wept, who were afraid, who were unsure of the way forward. And there I am comforted by the steadfastness in the face of uncertainty. There I can stand in solidarity with Jesus and know that he stands in solidarity with imperfect me, imperfect all of us. And here I can say, he is for me, so much in union with the divine spirit that I can claim him as the son of God. <laughs> Ah, yes, and now, where does humanity come into our theology, for it surely must? We cannot talk of the study of God, of Jesus, of our faith, and neglect humanity and how it all ties together. That is, I suppose, the place of what we call the Holy Spirit, the voice, the sense, the knowings that tie everything together. It was a profound moment in my own faith story when it occurred to me one day that God did not have a body. That sounds odd, I know, because of course it seems obvious, but somehow I had never tied that all together before. I had come to understand the idea of the largesse of God and the importance of the Divine Spirit living through the man Jesus and embodying God in particular time and place. But the Holy Spirit was still vague to me, something I was not too sure about. We don't talk about the Holy Spirit much in the Reformed tradition. I had to go elsewhere where that topic was popular How and when and to whom the Spirit speaks is another mystery, but that it does is not to be refuted. In scientific research, they say that if some new fact of understanding comes from a wide variety of circumstances that are unrelated, then their truthfulness must be examined. And the ways of the Spirit are too numerous from too many sources over centuries of time to be lain aside without examination. But in our faith tradition, because Jesus is such a central figure in our stories and our ethics, it is so often at his personal urging and in his personal way that the Spirit may speak to us. And as I grow older, Perhaps in the circle of life, I turn back to the love of my childhood, which was then and is now Jesus. That is as much a surprise to me as anyone, because it's easier to speak about God, which at the very least, people can speak about in general and philosophic terms. Jesus is particular. And only those who love him can understand that his memory has a warmth and a goodness to it that does not exist anywhere else. Well, at least not for me. So many of the great theologians in Christianity who wrote and studied and taught arrived at the end of their lives as they were at the beginning, childlike in their faith, with all their accomplishments, nothing more than notes on a page, their real faith having sunk down deep within them to something simple, something childlike. Sometimes I keep things, cards, pictures, writings, quotes, for a long time without understanding their meaning or their importance to me, only that I know I'm to keep them. And it is so with this piece of writing from Thomas Merton that is pasted to the inside of the front of a notebook of mine from my early days at seminary. He writes When we find the truth that shapes our lives, we have found more than an idea, we have found a person. We have come upon the actions of one who is still hidden but whose work proclaims him holy and worthy to be adored. And in him we also find ourselves. This has been so for me, but only recently did I come to understand the fullness of it. I have traveled a long way to understand my faith of birth, a long way to glimpse the larger view of a God that embraces the wholeness of things. But in the end, I come back to my original love, and that is, plain and simply, Jesus. It makes no sense at all, but there it is.
1: no light in the darkness you see there's light for a look at the savior
0: Well now, that was quite the parade on Wednesday afternoon. So many of you honking up a storm on an icy grey afternoon, shouting out to me and dropping off cards and gifts and waving. It was really a wonderful surprise. The day began with Ken and Gwen arriving with the beautiful charcuterie board from everyone at Primrose with all their signatures on the bottom, and the day proceeded with so many cards with beautiful notes and little gifts and thoughtful thoughts, and the beautiful shawl and very generous gift of money, so, so, so thoughtful. Bruce and I were both deeply touched by your many, many kindnesses. And in the strange way that the Spirit gifts us, it is making the leaving somehow easier, sweeter, and more hopeful for all of us. So thank you, thank you, thank you. We are going to close with a beloved hymn, a real classic, one that Bruce and I adore, really a foundational hymn of faith. It was a special request at my ordination so many years ago now and I think is often requested by other ministers. But in the Reformed tradition, as you may be tired of me telling you, we are the priesthood of all believers and you are all ministers in your own little spheres of dwelling. I suppose if I could say I had a personal ambition as a minister, I would say that I wanted everyone to understand their calling as a minister in their own little world. Because that is how I think of all of you, as ministers working through your understandings of God and Jesus and scripture and the ways of the spirit exactly where you live and work and care for others. As all ministers do, you will have your natural gifts in different areas, social justice issues that speak directly to you, and areas, too, that challenge your faith and where you may stumble. But just as God is steadfast and ever merciful, so will you be. And just as Jesus is compassionate and filled with grace, so will you be. And just as the Spirit goes where it will, seeking places to uplift and guide at the calling of the divine, so you will do likewise. For all these things you are called to do, and are doing now, and will continue to do. Next week, in my final podcast, we will chat about the future of the church and what you have all taught me that I take with me in my leaving. Bruce and I wish you every blessing as the new year begins. I am sure there will be adventures to be had, but for now, try to stay home as much as possible, which is the responsible thing to do. Be kind to yourself and all those in your care.
1: Be thou my vision, O joy of my heart. Thy presence, my light, be thou my battle shield, the sword for my fight.
2: call